Hello, and welcome to the third installation in the Mortgage Strategy podcast series, Support Strategy. I'm Rebecca Kaman, editor of Mortgage Strategy, and I'm joined today by Robert Sinclair, Chief Executive of the Association of Mortgage Intermediaries, and we'll be talking about the sentiment on the ground among, amongst mortgage brokers, thoughts on fees, and how the industry can move forward. Hi, Robert. Thanks so much for joining me today. Pleasure, Rebecca. Um, firstly, Robert, can you talk to me a bit about Amy's role in the industry and what its focus has been during the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, um, as the pandemic started, Amy was relatively fortunate in that we already had the capacity to move to home working and, and did that relatively seamlessly. Um, that means that also we as a team have been uh, meeting every morning at roughly 10 o'clock and talking through all the issues that we think are arising on the for the day. We've now produced a, a Q&A for our members, which runs to, I think, 19 pages now of things that we're, we think are relevant to their business. And what we've been trying to do is stay close to our members in that we've uh, moved our board meetings to fortnightly. We have industry contact groups and a risk forum that usually used to meet every two months. They are now meeting monthly so that we stay closer to what's happening um, in the industry as a whole and can reflect that back to lenders and regulators in terms of uh, representing the issues that we see in the marketplace. Um, mm -hmm. If I go back two or three weeks, we're also involved working with the home buying and selling group, um, right. which Beth Rudolph headed up um, and uh, trying and, and put representations into government together with the with other industry people um, to get the housing market at the top of the agenda for reopening, which is why I part of that lobbying that we all did across the whole piece um, from the surveying, the conveyancing, removal firms and lenders to make sure that government understood the fundamental part of the housing market, the mortgage market, in re-energising the economy. And that was a, a great win for us working cross-sector to, to get that as one of the first things that reopened. And, and it was always the trivial elements that make this difficult in that actually the whole thing could be blocked if removal firms can't work. And it was getting yeah. a government to understand that and making sure that could operate that was really important. So we've been really busy across a whole strand of areas and talking to lenders as well. I mean, and... I think, you know, it's easy to be critical of lenders, but any industry, any sector, any business that's had to move thousands of people from working in call centres and factory environments and, and office buildings to working from home, giving them the right technology, the right connectivity, some form of data security um, is an immensely difficult task. And the fact those lenders have achieved that at the same time of having to deal with thousands of calls about payment holidays and payment deferment, um, we shouldn't... Um, underestimate how difficult and stressful that's been for them in the same way it's been really stressful for brokers having to talk to their customers not having a full knowledge of what's out there in the marketplace and available. I was going to say the general feeling towards lenders has been quite positive really hasn't it um, um, so you would say that brokers are pretty happy with how they've stepped up in general? There's, there's always going to be issues in that um, any lender is going to look to protect its position by way of its risk appetite in terms of what LTV it wants to lend to at a certain point in time. And also have to be fairly cautious about how much business they want in the front end of their funnel because we all get very frustrated from a broker perspective if their service standards begin to really fall into a bad place. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, one of the big arguments we've always had with the regulator is that the right, the right, the best, the cheapest loan might not be the right loan because if that cheapest loan takes three months to complete and the customer needs it in a month, it's not the best answer for that customer. And therefore, cheapest has mm. not never always been best. And, and as an intermediary, being being clear about 
what the right solution is for the customer, having had that discussion with them and understanding their circumstances, has always been the skill of our, our sector. Um, yeah. and, and trying to make sure people understand that's important. And so um, we've got lenders at the moment who, some of them, appear to be open but perhaps aren't. Um, we've got lenders who are really open um, and, and doing their best to meet the demands of them. And I think, you know, there's obvious ones like HSBC Accord and others who are still at that 90% loan-to-value figure that really yeah. is um, wonderful. Um, mm -hmm. Others that are moving back up there, but all of them are very nervous about if they move up that LTV curve, they will suddenly get avalanched with a whole lot of stuff they can't cope with, and we understand that. But the sooner we get back to that more normal market, the better it will be for everybody, particularly the customer. Absolutely. And um, obviously the customer has its needs, but what would you say are the most important things that lenders can do in the eye of brokers at the moment? I think, I think one of the challenges is that many of them... Um, have had difficulties in keeping their BDMs. Well, you can't keep your BDMs on the road. How do you keep them, them accessible? Mm. And what's their role in a new structure where underwriting becomes more important or the systems are that, that, that exist? How do we get to a position where people are much more marginal? Um, I think brokers probably want lots of common sense around income. Um, they want more common sense around somebody who's clearly got or is in a business that is sustainable in the long term, but is currently furloughed. And the fact that they're mm -hmm. just taking frozen income or not prepared to get income at all, then, then it's difficult. And also, I think, probably more common sense around people who are sensibly making payment deferral options to protect their position um, shouldn't be seen as a total sign of distress in all cases. Now, clearly, there needs to be some research around that. And, and, and perhaps there's some sectors and industries that are going to be more badly affected than others. But I think we probably just need more common sense and granularity rather than blanket approaches being applied by people. I think that's what, what, what brokers want from lenders at the moment. It's going to take a little bit of time to get that, but at least the conversations are happening about that in my view. Robert, broker fees are always a hot topic, but never more so than now. Uh, what are your thoughts on the FCA's current broker charges? I know you have some thoughts on this. <laughs> We've been fairly vocal in, in being concerned, and we, we wrote to the FC a long time before their fees paper was actually produced um, mm. to say that we, we were concerned about preserving money and cash in businesses in order to allow them to trade through what might be a, neat, a difficult period during this year. Um, mm -hmm. What I think concerned me the most was reading um, their... Um, fees proposals on their business plan, which kind of said, we're going to carry on with business as usual as a regulator, rather than beginning to morph to a, war, a different world that is whatever this new abnormal is and accepting as a regulator, there may be things you shouldn't be doing. They'll push some things back, but mm. they're pushing them back for three to six months, not saying we're going to stop doing this type of activity until the world becomes more normal again. And that's what I expect a responsible regulator to do and that government is asking of everybody to do things differently in this environment. But the FC appears to have two heads on in almost, in my view. One is being really, really good at being innovative and creative and supportive of the consumer element of their, of their agenda, but not being quite as creative and supportive around the business end of their agenda. Um, and so what we were asking for was them to actually look at whether there can be more significant deferral of fees. And the freezing of fees for smaller firms and giving them slightly longer to pay them is good, but in my, my view, nowhere near far enough for a regulator that could be doing more around that. Um, yeah. And certainly the cost transference there is because of the way they've changed FOS fees, um, the, ombudsman, the ombudsman fees as an element of the invoice means that larger firms are going to be paying a disproportionate amount of the, the ombudsman bill than small firms. 
and therefore that's going to layer more cost, despite the fact that the Ombudsman defends by saying we're using up 25 million of our reserves. Um, that doesn't actually help because the, the, the actual proposal they have is to replenish those reserves very quickly. And therefore, anything they're doing now is unhelpful because they're just actually committing to the fact that we're going to ask you for more money later. Um, so my view on this is that the regulators should be being more helpful, but they're not at the moment um, in a space where they want to provide cash help to businesses. On top of that, we were, right. uh, we've been asking them for things like delays to when firms have to report because accountancy firms are snowed under by firms from all across the marketplace having to produce information for C-bills and, and, and even for, for loans from their banks. And therefore, any business that's trying to get their accountant to produce accounting data very quickly is finding it difficult. And part of the regulator's rules is that firms have to produce financial year-end accounts within six weeks and drop them into SA systems. They want that information to continue to happen. And they've just put out a data request this week to all mortgage firms that requires them to produce numbers at the end of May for, for within yeah. seven working days. Now, this is, this is a level of data and information that's just impossible for firms to do particularly as the regulators asking for this against the Section 165 requirement, which means that if they get it wrong, they're subject to, to penal action by the regulator. And this is just a total misunderstanding of the ability of the industry to, to meet their requirements at this point in time. So, yes, I'm angry about it. Yes, I'm concerned about it. What I'm more concerned about is that we keep challenging and asking questions about this, but we're not getting an awful lot back by way of explanation as to why they think this is important enough. And my, my challenge to the regulator continually is, Please explain to me why you think a mortgage sector which holds no customer assets, no client money, and if a firm feels the only thing that the people lose out on might be a broker, a very small broker fee they may have paid up front, but in most cases brokers don't take fees up front, I mm. don't understand what you think the detriment is to consumers of firms trading temporarily without enough capital in the bank. It makes no sense. So Very, very, very valid questions. Yeah. <laughs> And generally, Robert, what's the relationship like that, you know, they're not taking on board your points, which are very valid. Is it usually, do you feel like you usually have more sway in Amy? I, I think, I think yes, we do. I mean, traditionally, we've always had really good open communication lines and, and, and are heard very well. I mm. think the challenge is that the people that we normally communicate with are the people within the FC who are exceptionally challenged at the moment because right. they're the people who are dealing with the payment deferment, payment holiday issues. They're the people who are dealing with the app that still the issues around mortgage prisoners. They're the people who are dealing with the non-bank lender issues. Um, also, um, what has become apparent in this process is that the number of people who've actually got experience of running a business within the FCA are relatively few and far between. Um, so one of the very few people at an executive committee level who's actually operated running a business is Jonathan Davidson, who's our prime contact into the regulator. So Jonathan is involved very much in all the core decisions that the regulator is making, although he's the supervision director, he's almost acting as a policy director in the current position because of his ground on-the-ground knowledge of how businesses operate. Many okay. of the more se other senior people at the regulator will never worked in government or other regulators. And therefore, they're not as deeply imbued in the financial services sector as Jonathan and one or two others are. And, and that means that the, the narrow communication channels that we have with the regulator that we have are the same narrow communication channels that they have internally to approve and sign off many of the things that are having to look at at the moment. And I appreciate that actually helping the consumer should be the one thing we're all focused on and worrying about how firms deal with things comes secondarily. 
But there comes mm. a point where there has to be a trade-off there, particularly these firms that are paying these people's salaries, not the consumer. Wow, a lot going on. Same stops me being bored. <laughs> um, oh, you're never one to twiddle your thumbs, though, are you? <laughs> um, just talking about supporting uh, brokers and all the challenges that they're facing at the moment, Robert, do you feel that networks have been doing enough to support their members? I, I think um, the clubs and the networks have been working quite hard to provide support um, and information. I've, I've, I've been um, doing a range of discussions and podcasts with many of them. They're, a lot of them are, are trying to, and they have to demonstrate their value to their members. I mean, that's one of the things that uh, their members do demand of them at a time like this. I think it's always interesting to see what happens in times of crisis, because actually you don't pay, I, I always think you don't pay your fees to, to things that are around for business as usual. Um, you actually pay for their support when things begin to look difficult. And I remember one of the things that uh, uh, Keith Whitson was the chief executive of HSBC, both in the UK and, and, and group wide, said to me once, he said, Robert, I don't get paid the big money for running a bank in good days. I get paid the big money to know what to do when things start to go wrong. Um, mm. And actually, what people will measure, actually, the support they get from their network or their mortgage club by how they're supported at this time. And I think yeah. from what I see, most of them have stepped up quite well by way of mm. better communication, working from home, trying to find ways to make sure that they can still process, do business, make payments in a way that's effective and timely. And I'm not hearing of major issues around any mm. of that. Um, and that's, okay. that's excellent, given that every business has had to migrate to, to home working and, and away from office environments. And those firms who have needed to keep people in the office have done so in order to particularly make payments in, in, to, 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 to members because that's the one part of most firms where they can't do it remotely. So they've had to keep people in offices, but they've worked out how to get everybody else out and keep those people in. Robert, we are kind of, things are moving again in the market. They seem to be anyway. And a lot of the kind of talk is very positive. Obviously, moving from a very low basis point, it's always going to be, you know, moving up. But do you, speaking to brokers yourself, do you feel like things are starting to recover? I mean, obviously, it's not frozen anymore in the market, so it has to be. But are there positive signs? It's an appropriate phrase to use with you, but I think it is baby steps. Um, <laughs> we're in that space of... Um, moving forward in a way that's um, gentle and, and gradual. So getting surveyors back into the marketplace to clear the pipeline out was the first task that everyone wanted to see done. So we could really establish um, what in the pipeline um, was a genuine transaction that might complete or which ones had fallen by the wayside so that can they be repaired? Can we do anything with those? Or are, they, are those transactions dead and we get clarity about all of that? Mm -hmm. Clearly the levels of inquiry that have been coming into the big um, Property sourcing engines, whether it's Rightmove or Zoopla or others, have looked significant. The discussions I've been having with firms in the last couple of days tend to indicate that they're seeing inquiry levels into them at record levels. What level of those are capable of converting quickly is something they're worried about. So sorting the wheat from the chaff is a fundamental issue with that. Um, so... I think they're in a space now of being able to say that the market appears to be running on a purchase level, probably around 60 to 70% of where it was at the peak. Now, that's a significant recovery from where we were, which was at 10% of the peak when we first went into lockdown. Absolutely. And it's clear that Remo 
remortgage and product transfer is continuing to run at the same level it has done all the way through. So there's been no drop off in that at all. And brokers have commended in the fact that they have been making contact with customers, talking to them and trying to engineer them through a process that best meets their needs or their ability to evidence their income. Mm-hmm. Um, the big risks, of course, are that we have um, a quarter of the working population on on furlough and at what stage they begin to come back from that will be interesting or or what stage some of those as many large employers are talking about redundancies now the interesting part about the redundancy thing is that if you've got a large firm with a large number of employees you have to put them on notice now if even if you want to get rid of them in six months time because the length of time it takes to go through the consultation process is significant and you would put everybody on notice rather than perhaps the number that you want to get rid of at the end point. So there'll be lots of rhetoric around this, which is about huge numbers, which might not end up in those huge numbers when we get to the point where the firms actually have to make that final decision. And therefore, that's quite an interesting dynamic as far as I'm concerned. Because mm. the, the last bit of this also comes back to um, something that was in a paper which m- no very few people read, which is a paper issued by the Provincial Regulatory Authority yesterday, which is actually all about how lenders should be dealing with people who are in um, taking uh, payment deferral payment holidays, both from a credit card and a mortgage perspective. And Sam Woods, the director, the the deputy governor of the Bank of England and head of the provincial regulatory authority, in in the last part of that 14-page document, makes the statement that, that lenders should be really clear that with the amount of support that's been injected into the economy by, by government and will continue to be injected into the economy by government and the bank, they should take pragmatic views of the level of provisioning they might require and pragmatic views of how they should treat people in uh, mortgage deferral holidays. Therefore, they should not be pushing people unnecessarily towards any form of um, being seen as in arrears or provisioning against those people in that and therefore providing his view is there are lots of safety nets still going to be around for a long time to make sure the economy does recover out of this. And therefore, he was being very supportive of lenders taking a positive view of where things are. And that's why, you know, brokers are saying across the piece, we don't see property prices falling by by more than 10%. We do think Mm. property prices will come back up in 2021 by 10%. Therefore, from the end of 19 to the end of 21, we actually expect the market to be broadly where it is now. We're not seeing significant drop-offs in valuations from brokers, sorry, from surveyors in the market at the moment. It's one or two isolated instances where there's big reporting on it, but across the piece, brokers are not reporting big falls in in valuations. Um, And we're not seeing big price chipping even in in those people who want to complete chains. So the market is relatively positive. That's so good to hear. I mean, obviously, some of the house price indices that are out are quite alarmist. Do you, and they've they've come back out again. So do you think they've come back out too soon? I think I think the this is always on thin data, which may or may not be statistically significant. I think anything that shows a drop um, is 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 already the market correction, in my view. Mm-hmm. Um, so the market market corrections in this environment work quite quickly. It's not this is a creeping. I don't think this is a creeping paralysis. This is an instant correction that then we move forward from, and therefore yeah. you know. Is it my job to talk a market up? Well, actually, in this case, I think it is because I think the whole of this the whole of this situation should be about trying to maintain confidence in the consumer, confidence in the economy, confidence in this country. And therefore, if we begin to talk it down, guess what will happen? The self-fulfilling prospect happens as soon as you talk it down. If you actually begin to talk positively and think about all the things that are being done to promote it and keep it safe, guess what? 
we will be in a better place individually and collectively. And that's quite important for me. You're you're so right. I mean, like personally, our buyers pulled out of our house purchase because they had read articles that, you know, projected house prices to drop dramatically. And it is quite dangerous. And as you say, it does trickle down. So um, talking the market up is, you know, is never a bad thing. It's not talking <laughs> it up. It's, it's actually fundamentals around how many people live in this country? How many people need somewhere to live? What are incomes yeah. going to be going forwards? And I think that's yeah. part of this dynamic that says, you know, is, are, are, we were long having debates even before the crisis about how sustainable the, the prices in the property market were. And actually, one of the things that underpins property prices is the level of guilt yield return. And guilt yield returns are now dropping and dropping and dropping still. And that makes property a more attractive investable proposition. Therefore, the, 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 the seesaw effect of that means that I believe pro- fundamentally property values will maintain their level. Okay, I love your positivity. Yes. And it's fact, fact, fact-based as well. So and one of the things I do fair. concern about, I mean, there was, there was a, a, an article a couple of weeks ago where our friends at Zoopla dropped some really good data out on the 26th of May. Um, and, and that was broadly positive. They didn't give her much traction because of other things that happened that day with government. So their, their, their press agency produced another piece of text the next day, which got picked up by the BBC and others. And that was a really negative piece, but it was based on opinion, not fact. The factual stuff from Zoopla Day Before was really strong and powerful and positive to the market. They produced some opinion PR the next day, which was awful. And it was unfortunate that the opinion piece got picked up, not the data, the data-led piece. And I, I was very angry about that. But mm. I'm well known yeah, for I voicing know my opinions around these things. <laughs> the negative is so much, um, you know, picks up more coverage a lot of the time, which is very sad but true. Robert, do you have any kind of pieces of advice for brokers picking themselves up again? I mean, you've already given loads, but I, I, I genuinely believe that, um, and it's one of the things I, I was. I mentioned Keith Whitson earlier, um, who was the chief executive at USBC. Mm. Um, I was lucky enough to do work with him and for him on a couple of projects. And, and Keith was always a great believer that when times get hard, you have to talk to your customers. Not talk, Hiding and not talking is the worst thing you can ever do. Customers, yeah. actually, even if you ring them up and they don't want anything, and they might even be a bit resistant or might be a bit negative, why are you bothering calling me? When they stop and reflect after that call, actually will have a good feeling about the fact you cared. Yeah. And and, and therefore, the, the one thing I always say in this is stay close to your customers, keep talking to them, stay engaged, and, and don't be afraid to make the call because ultimately um, they will be positive about the fact that you care. And at the moment, I think we there's good reasons to call everybody, which is don't panic. How are you doing? Are you okay with your, your financials and budgets? Is there anything I can help you with by just talking to you? Do you understand why those insurance policies I sold you five years ago are still important to you? And that all that kind of thing. And also, what, your, your mortgage is going to come up for renewal in X period of time. Make sure you talk to me. Don't just follow what the lender tells you to do. Really important messages at the moment because the market is going to move in all sorts of interesting ways where because lenders have got capacity issues, they're going to work quite hard to keep stuff on their books, but it might not be the best rate that they get offered. And so the broker can look at that and make sure the best things happen for them. And really, a good advisor is all about staying close to their people. And that's what I would say to any firm is keep talking, keep even just writing and emailing and making people think about you being front of mind is key at this point in time, because that's what will deliver a sustainable business. And it doesn't matter whether you're a broker 
or whether you're a journalist or you're running a magazine, that's actually where you have to be continually. If you're not front of mind and getting the stories out there, guess what? It doesn't. It, you 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 are you are you are yesterday and not tomorrow. Um, communication is relevant to all sectors, isn't it? I have one more question for you, Robert. This is not COVID nineteen related, but what it is in a way. Um, a lot of people have taken time to reflect on their careers in this time. A lot of people have been furloughed, maybe thinking about doing like starting a different career, going down a different road altogether. What would you tell? people now who might be thinking oh I, I'd like to become a mortgage broker would you tell them go for it um, I would because um, I tell you what um, the one thing about this is it's not it's not quite the same as um, death and taxis but but everybody needs somewhere to live and whether you buy or whether you rent and so the private rented sector is not going to go away in the UK. So providing funding advice to landlords about the best buy-to-let mortgage or the structure to fund a buy-to-let portfolio is fundamental. Helping people buy a house to build a home in is fundamental. Making sure that sale that is all about that is also adequately protected but we have the right insurances right across the piece is fundamental. Anybody who works in this industry who gets it gets under their skin. All the good brokers I know care passionately about their business, the customers that are theirs, and all their business partners. Because the other thing about this industry and the way it's developed, particularly over the last 10 years, is it is a series of partnerships. Brokers and lenders and insurers all work very well together in order to provide great solutions to customers. And I can't think of many industries where you actually have that level of community and camaraderie, where people genuinely care about each other in a way that works. So would I encourage you to come to this industry? Of course I would, because I actually think it does a number of things, which is fundamental economically to success, i.e. gives people houses to build homes in, and you can actually help people make better financial decisions that help them through the rest of their lives and guide and help and support them. Why would you not want to be in that space if you've got caring bones in your body and have got the ability to talk, empathise and structure solutions? Great answer, Robert, and a really interesting chat. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to speak to me today and hope to catch up with you soon. That'd be great. Thank you, Rebecca. Good to see you.